Hit record. We are live. So hello, everyone. Welcome to another Chat and Learn here with Power to Fly. I'm your host, Mariella, and I'm super excited to introduce our guest speaker today. We got a, a moment to chat offline. Um, she's in Atlanta. I grew up between Atlanta and Los Angeles, as some of you might have heard before. So I'm super excited to hear the knowledge that she has to drop with us today. Um, and I really just, you know, first want to jump into some housekeeping rules so that everyone feels comfortable and confident. Um, we're going to be talking about, you know, something that affects all of us. So I know that there might be some sensitive topics, um, especially now with what's the current state, the, go the global state. That's a lot of craziness happening. Um, I really, you know, encourage everyone to to empower themselves by tuning into these kinds of conversations, um, you know, creating community. Um, we have a couple of folks on the line who, you know, started to have a, a relationship um, to create their business and, you know, strengthen themselves on Instagram. So, you know, this is the time that we can shine. Um, and I just want to invite everyone to turn your cameras on, um, take yourselves off of mute whenever you want to share your voice. Uh, I've muted everyone upon entrance just to avoid any background noises, but I can't stress enough. We want to hear from you. And then the last thing I'll say is that this is being recorded so I know that everyone loves to multitask these days but I really encourage you to be present with us so that you know if you want to share your voice if you see your question uh, come on the screen or if you, you know want to tell an anecdote we really would love to hear from you so then you can watch this uh, this recorded version later on power to fly so let's please pay attention and share our voices um, and I won't talk anymore I want to pass the mic to our guest speaker here today, Candice. Um, I won't read what's here on the screen, but uh, I loved getting to chat with you offline. So I would love for you to share with our listeners now a little bit about yourself. Let us know how you uh, came to know about Power to Fly and what you're excited to share with us today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. As you guys see here, this is my you know cute little spill about myself. Um, I am a money coach and I help everyday millennials simplify their finances and build wealth on their own terms. So that basically just means understanding what systems work for you and letting those operate without following all the trends that are going on that we can, you know, see people are doing all over Instagram. Know what works for you, keep it simple and just let it work. Um, outside of that, I am very passionate about helping people who look like me change these limiting narratives that we have around money in our lives. And of course, I'm very passionate about ice cream. So anybody who follows me on Instagram will know that. <laughs> um, and at the bottom there, those are all of the ways to get in touch with me. I'm very engaging, especially on Instagram. Um, and of course, I'm connected um, to Twitter and other things throughout the day as well. So please feel free to reach out to me for anything that any questions that you may have. And today I'm just excited to answer all the questions because there were so many about so many different things that I feel like I'm excited about all of it because it's going to be a very diverse conversation. Awesome. Great segue into actually jumping right into all these questions that you all have submitted offline. Again, great questions. We're going to take them one by one. Uh, if you are joining us live, I really encourage you to stop multitasking. Uh, you know, you can put your virtual background on if you want. Uh, you turn your cameras on. We want to see, um, you know, the revolution is happening. And these kinds of conversations are really fueling that revolution. So uh, it would be great if you could participate with us today. We're calling from all over. I'm calling from Argentina. Our guest speaker's in Atlanta. I'm just going to read uh, some, some places here that you've written in the chat box. So we've got California, Maryland, Denver, Colorado, San Francisco, uh, Kingston, Canada, the Bay Area, Boston, Massachusetts. Awesome. So, you know, uh, the, the power of digital community is key. I said this, you know, before COVID and especially now, um, we really, really appreciate you all tuning live. So um, let's jump right into this first question, Candace. 
why should I start putting money towards a retirement and or investment account? So we should always be actively planning for the future, right? And I know like millennials, that's the group that I tend to work with. And we get such a bad rap about being, you know, the microwave generation and we want everything so quickly. Um, and we can't see certain things into the future, but planning for the future is key. Now, a lot of my clients are women and women who have male counterparts, we live longer than them statistically, and we are making less than them in our career. So we're expected to live longer and then if we don't work what are we going to do we're already making less than we are than they are over our lifetime so um this is one way to make sure that later on when you retire let's say if you love your career but you don't want to have to work to make money planning for your retirement and also investing and collecting those gains you know later on in life is what's going to carry you after you decide that you don't want to work anymore maybe you just want to garden or you want to watch soap operas and prices right or whatever you don't have to work for money if you make these plans now so um and then on the flip side of that is even if you decide that you know you have enough money you don't need to touch your investment or you know god forbid you're unable to access it because you pass away you can still designate somewhere else for this money to be used after you're gone thorough already i love it so i see a lot of folks shaking their head too thank you all for turning your cameras on i appreciate you i see you um and i love that you are you know kind of putting out this this um this invitation that also sounds like, you know, like a, a nice friendly embrace to like, you know, you can do it, you know, move towards the right direction. Um, and this is actually very, you know, this would be in your favor. I love that you said you might not need to think about um, reaching a certain, you know, point of your, of your career uh, and, and actually having to work to get money. Um, right. A lot of us have been taught that, you know, you work until you can't move anymore, basically. And I love that you're also highlighting you know, in the gener specifically in the generation that you work with, how this is, you know, you need to do that warm embrace and extra push. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Uh, let's move on to this next question here. This is a great question as well. How much should I have in savings before I start investing? Yes. Yeah, so I'm always going to recommend that you have your emergency fund at minimum. So that number is going to look different for each person. And for the clients that I work with, I have developed like a calculator to help them figure out how much their emergency fund should be. So for me, I would not feel comfortable investing in, unless I had at least six months of my emergency fund saved up. Um, on top of having a stash of savings um, in an account, you also want to make sure that you don't have any emotional attachment to the money that you're planning to invest. So if you're going to need it in a year or less, I wouldn't invest it. If you have a lot of money trauma um, and the type of investing that you're planning to do has a lot of volatility. So for example, everybody's talking about the stock market now. Everybody can't handle in, uh, investing in individual stocks. So if that's not something that you can do without having a lot of anxiety or a lot of fear and worry, then I would choose a different type of investment option or maybe just hold off on it until your mindset is at a point where you're comfortable with letting that money go and not necessarily being able to control all of the fluctuations that happen in the market. I love that you're connecting uh, the, the state of mind and also the emotion that uh, often, you know, you, you, unless you study finance or unless you work with it every day, mm -hmm. you know, you don't really realize uh, that there is a, an emotional attachment and a mental, uh, a psychological attachment to it as well. 
I right. mean, we can go in as deep as, you know, there are some philosophers that really dive into like this, how, how, how a piece of paper can really dictate a lot of powerful things in the world. So, you know, this big spectrum of how do you engage with money and then how to empower yourself by knowing that you do have different ways to connect with it and to make sure that you're not attached in certain ways. I love that you're flagging that. So thank you for bringing that about. Um, someone here has written in the chat box, uh, by investing, do you mean contributing to a retirement account and or a taxable brokerage account? So in this example, I'm talking about a taxable brokerage account. So when you're investing in your retirement account, um, especially if it's a 401k, the options that are there are they're a little bit more safer, you know, like if you go through a tax, like a, a brokerage account, you can specifically on your own say, I want to put $3,000 in, into Apple, right? And then that's a lot more risky than saying, okay, I'm going to put my money in this retirement account and it's going to go to this target date index fund. And I don't have to worry about making sure I have all these different pieces put together because it's managed for me through this 401k company or through this, um, this brokerage firm here. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Keep the questions coming up in the chat box. If you see a question that comes on your screen uh, and it is not your question, you uh, are more than welcome to add to it just like Stacy did. Thank you for writing that in the chat box. All right, so let's move on to this next question. How much should you be making before you start putting money into a retirement fund or starting to invest? So you kind of talked about this a little bit in the first one, but did you want to dive in deeper here? Yeah, so I just want to say that there is no amount that we should be really getting into the habit of contributing to retirement as early as possible. Like, I wish that I understood the importance of this when I got my first job that had retirement benefits. And I was just like, I don't have to worry about that. Like, I'm going to be alive for a long time. I don't need to put money away. It'll be fine. But you can't make up for the time that you lose as far as compounding interest and all of the, um, the gains that you'll get over the years. You can't get that time back. So even if you're making, say, $25,000 a year, especially if your employer has a 401k uh, match contribution where they say, okay, if you contribute a certain percentage of your income to your 401k, we're going to match that percentage. If you have that, that is free money on the table. And if you need to maybe um, negotiate, um, looking at Donna, negotiate maybe um, a raise or something so that you can create more of a buffer so that you can also manage your finances better so that you can take advantage of that uh, employer match, absolutely do that. But it's more about getting into the habit on living on less now so that you can set yourself up for the future more than it is about a dollar amount. Awesome. And so I saw you uh, pass the mic to Donna. Donna, did you want to say something there? Do you all, how did you all meet? We didn't say it as we were recording, but uh, I want to just speak about the powerful relationship that you two have. Absolutely. So we met on Instagram. So we've never met face to face, but it's it's amazing the the information Candace has on her Instagram, Millennial Financial Educator, and um, you know we both share a passion for empowering others. For Candace, it's through financial empowerment. For free, me, it's through negotiation. And I love what you just mentioned about you can negotiate those benefits. Absolutely, I, I'm with you on that. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, good. So yes, please leverage your, your social media so that you can, you know, help everyone be on the bright side. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the next question here. Uh, any tips for someone interested in investing, but overwhelmed with research uh, and where should we invest? What sites to use and good areas to invest in? Great questions. Yes. So 
Oh, I think you're muted. Somebody, yeah, it said that I was that somebody else muted me, but you can hear okay. me. Now. Yeah, we can hear you. You're okay. on. All right. So I can't tell you where specifically to invest your money because I'm not a financial advisor and they come with their own fees to help you manage your finances. But I will say that when you want to get involved in investing, but are feeling overwhelmed that you choose maybe one to two people that you can kind of learn from, because as I mentioned before, there are so many different types of investing styles um, and it you can, can kind of get convoluted in your mind with knowing what's best for you if you're having too many different opinions coming at you. Um, and one of the podcasts that I like to listen to is called Earn Your Leisure. Um, they talk about a lot of different investing styles, and they also, of course, feature different people who are investing in all different types of things, whether it's real estate, P2P lending, investing in other businesses. So you can get whatever your investment style is, they're going to have somebody there that maybe you like and can kind of gravitate towards to. Um, but that's what I would say about that. Just making sure that you aren't having too many opinions and also that you understand your risk tolerance level so as you start getting to investing then you'll learn a bit more about you know what your level is and so it's basically like how much volatility can i take with my investments so maybe i shouldn't be trying to you know invest in we keep talking about stocks maybe i shouldn't invest in that maybe i should put my money into an index fund or an etf which is more like a collection of companies and it helps keep your portfolio a little bit more balanced so knowing your risk tolerance level and then again making sure that you have kind of a clear path as far as if you're looking to someone to for mentorship that you understand um that it's it's perfectly fine to just take it one investment style at a time Great. And if this was your question, or if anyone wants to chime in, feel free to do so. These are great questions. And I love, Candice, that you are, you know, hitting the nail on the head and also giving a lot of uh, the, the person who's asking this question or, you know, whoever is pondering the power to make, you know, different types of decisions. Uh, I think that a lot of times we, we are looking for like a button to push, <laughs> but we don't realize that it depends on you and what you're looking for, what makes you comfortable. So thank you for always bringing that back. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to this question here. What is the minimum number of shares you should be able to afford before considering buying a particular stock? Is there a number? So I'm gonna say one. Like, so when you're buying a share of a company, you're buying a slice of ownership. So that gives you voting power. So they'll say, you know what, our annual meeting is coming up. We want your votes on what we should do, who should be the next, you know, person who is the spokesperson or whatever changes they need to make within the company. You have those rights when you put your money into a company. Also, you know, depending on what you're investing in, you can become rich, wealthy, or whatever, depending on your method. So I bought a share of Amazon. It's really expensive, right? So back when I bought it a couple years ago, it was like $1,600, right? Um, so now I checked it earlier and it's, it's, it's over $3,000 now, right? And the percentage was 95%. So if I were the type of person who wanted to just invest short term, say, I just want to, you know, invest for two or three years and then I want to cash everything out and then I want to put it towards buying a house. I've, I'm already at in two years, a 95% return on one share of, of Amazon. So um, one can be monumental, right? So it, there's to me, there's really no number. Um, it's just going to depend on what, what your purpose is, but any type of uh, slice of ownership that you can have in a company is going to benefit you. Um, and I do see a question about ETF. So ETF is just, um, 
an exchange traded fund. So it's going to have like a bunch of different companies that kind of operate in the same sectors. And so basically when one company may be taking a hit, then another company is doing well. So it's not, you're basically your, your portfolio doesn't suffer as much of a hit because they're balancing each other out. So that's one way to invest versus buying individual stocks. Again, if you don't feel like you can really handle that volatility. Great. And Candace, we got the chat box blowing up. I'm just going to flag another question here. So um, you mentioned about how you wish you knew the importance of investing for retirement back when you had your first job. What was the moment that made you realize the importance of investing and financial empowerment? So for me, when I got a coach or a money mentor, I'll say, because I was, I eventually started contributing to retirement, but it wasn't like I had a passion for it or I really felt the importance. It was just like, okay, well, they gave me this retirement account option. You know, I guess it's a good idea. I'll just go ahead and put money in there, you know, it has tax benefits and all that stuff. Okay, why not? But once I started working with the money mentor, which happened, um, and I had talked about this on my Instagram that I was so mad because I got denied for a mortgage and I thought I deserved to get approved. <laughs> and I thought that I was doing so good with my money and they told me no. And I was like, okay, I have to do something different. And once I started working with the money mentor and I started seeing like all the different options that are available and how you can take advantage of tax breaks um, and just the different ways that we can grow our wealth that we really, it's not explained to us. Like when you get a job, they tell you you have all these options, but nobody tells you how it works. They don't sit down with you and have you log into your account and show you how to allocate your funds and all those things. So when I got a money mentor, that person showed me how to use my resources and make them straight. And also with saving, you know, saving doesn't keep up with inflation. So at some point, I have to do something else with my money so that they can grow. Um, because even with HYSAs, we see they're, they're cutting percentages. And, you know, 0.7% isn't going to do a lot for me 10 years from now, um, whereas investing will help me out in the future. Love that response. Yes. Okay. So uh, someone here has written this uh, response. You mentioned money mentor, coach, and financial advisor. What are the differences and which would you recommend? So mentor and coach, I mean, that's just a personal title. I would say that people probably give themselves a money coach is more like a job a position. Hopefully it's something that becomes more popular as time moves forward. When I'm saying mentor, mentor is just really because it's the person that I looked up to. Like they really, they did more than just help me manage my money. I was able to look at their lifestyle and say, okay, you know what? Like this is someone who I can get to help me throughout my entire life or as questions come up even after my one-on-one -on -one time with them helping me get these foundational things in place like even after that's passed i look up to this person um and then in a, a, a financial advisor that person is someone who's certified to manage your investments so I cannot go into your accounts and tell you you know what you need to take ten thousand dollars away from this and put it here that's what a financial advisor does. They look at your money, they help it grow. You tend to set up meetings with them maybe once or twice a year um, because they're pretty much running things for you. Now they do charge a percentage of the value of your portfolio. That's normally how that works. Um, especially if you're using a robo advisor, which is what a lot of people are leaning towards now. So instead of dealing with the person directly, wherever you have your funds, they may have a robot that says, okay, tell us, you know, your risk tolerance 
tolerance? Are you trying to grow your money? Or if you're closer to retirement age, do you want something that's a little bit more stable? And they kind of pick out when investments are best for you based on that profile that you give them. Um, those robo-advisors tend to be cheaper as far as the percentage of your portfolio that you have to pay. But just an advisor in general is someone else advising you on what to do with your money. Okay, and then which would you recommend starting out with if for this person who probably oh, wants to know? Yeah, so I would recommend starting out with a money coach because when you get to the point um, that you have a financial advisor, you probably have a good grasp already as on your money management and that's why your portfolio is able to grow to a certain degree um so but if you feel like you're really struggling with some foundational things absolutely getting a money coach because you don't want to get into that situation where you're investing money and then you turn around and need it you know before it has time to mature um, and then you wind up taking a loss so you want to make sure that foundation is always strong first um, what are my thoughts on working with a fiduciary? I mean, if you want to have a fiduciary, you know, on your account, hey, that great, great, go for it, right? Um, I think that with the clients that I work with, they do fine with managing, you know, things on their own. Like I said, we're getting their foundation straight. They're building their confidence. They're learning what works for them. Um, and then they're able to carry on from that point. So, it's just gonna be a little bit different for everybody, but for my client base, we, they typically don't need a fiduciary. Okay, so in your personal opinion, financial advisor human or financial advisor robots? Cause that really struck my attention too. Also, cause I do some of these chats with like AI machine learning and you know, talking about these kinds of things. I'm interested in knowing, I mean, this is my first time hearing about uh, there being a bot to, to financially <laughs> advise you. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are, you know, that it works out great, but I want to know in your personal opinion, uh, what do you think about that? So I think it's great if you are not confident in choosing your own investments. So it's not permanent. So if you say, okay, you know what, maybe I'll try it out myself first. And then I feel like maybe, you know what, I can get a better return. If I have a robo advisor, you can try that. And then you can say, you know what, after a year, I don't like that anymore. I want to go back to doing it myself. I'm going to always say a robo advisor first because I'm a millennial, right? We like the technology and all that stuff, but also because, you know, a lot of people don't trust advisors because they tend to try to upsell you on other products and services. And with the robo advisor, that's not happening. It's just a computer AI, like you said, artificial intelligence, you plug your information in it's reallocating has its own algorithms and all that and it's just going to reallocate based on that but you're not speaking to someone who's able to fill out what your emotions are and sell you based on those things that they they discover about you in a conversation yeah if we could stay right there there's like a sweet spot i want to get to there's this bias that i feel like can and does often come up whether we know it or not maybe it's something that is in someone's practice and they don't even know that they're doing this um, that kind of room for human air to say, actually, you're denied because of, you know, things that might not even make any sense to, you know, uh, uh, the other person or in general, but just, it's interesting to start um, taking back that, um, that power as well, so that you remove any bias that might come with someone who is advising you in certain ways. And I say this as a very, I mean, I, I'm connecting a story with my brother-in-law who was raised in Texas. And I just remember, I mean, this was years ago. He is in his forties now, mm -hmm. um, but when graduating high school, uh, his counselor 
told him and, and like a lot of his friends who had scored really high on the test, but most of his friends were black, that uh, these jobs are like what you should go for. And they never said anything like doctor or, you know, financial advisor. They would say like more labor skills, even though their scores are really high. And I know that that's a different time, but we're seeing that now, you know, these things come up and maybe even a little more under the rug. So I say that, you know, for several reasons, because there's, you know, the, a heated atmosphere, especially in the States right now with uh, systemic racism, you know, to be quite frank, and how that really just, you know, continues to add to our, our, um, our dissonance, for lack of a better word. So, you know, this, these tools that you're giving us, Candace, I think is really empowering to see across the board so that, you know, maybe some people can also check themselves to hear personal stories that have happened and to see the generational, you know, uh, oppression that has been happening. And not to say that this is your story because everyone has their own experience, but, you know, we have uh, in general, on a global level, we know that, you know, money is, is very uh, sacred it dictates a lot of things that we do. And so, you know, it's important to try to balance our access to that. And so if you are saying, for example, a robot might be more uh, efficient and like help you be more in tune with what you are personally gaining, I think that that's great advice. I just wanted to drop my notes there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Oh, is that what you, wanted, what you were gonna say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, Stacey's question, do robo and human advisors have similar fees? So the robo advisors, their fees are a lot lower because again, it's a computer. Somebody put in the work on the front end to set it up and the robo advisor does all of the work. So of course there's a human back into it, but it doesn't take, if you think about all the people who have a robo advisor, there's not one person helping all of those people and putting in all those man hours. So because of that, they are able to charge lower fees by having everything automated that way. Great, thank you for answering that. Okay, so let's move on to this next question here. Uh, what are money dates and how do they help the culture? Great question. Yes, I love talking about money dates because um, I just happened to do a series on it last week on Instagram. So it was like, I just talked about what it was and then like what things you can do on your money date. So it's really simple. It's pretty much just a way, a, a time that you set aside to spend with your money. So I tend to recommend like first starting out with my clients, they do it twice a month. Um, if they're really uprooting or like getting some systems in place, then they may want to do it a little more often than that. But as you feel confident, you just do it a little bit more sparingly. I do mine definitely every two weeks. Um, and when I say they help the culture, again, this is a time that you're planning your money. So this means that you are being conscious about where your dollars are going. So you can say, I'm going to take my money and donate to this cause. Or you can say, you know what, maybe I don't want children. So what I'm going to do is update my uh, estate plan so that when I pass away, my money is donated to say a company that does art exhibits that talk about the black uh, talk about black stories, or I'm going to have my money sent to museums that help educate people on the black experience and help them be more inclusive towards people of color. Like, that's what I mean about how they help the culture. You are being intentional about how your money can help the culture, basically. Um, and so I do have a checklist 
that I do give to my clients to help them with walking through what they should do on a money date. So I tend to break it down. Like these are things you should do every money date. These are things you may want to do once a month, do these things as necessary. And then I also have like a little question panel where, where I say, these are some things that you need to ask yourself. So for example, uh, one of the questions is like, how can I uh, decrease my expenses without decreasing my quality of life or how well, what expenses are going to be coming up this month? You know, so maybe you know, for example, that there are some some big cause that's coming to town that you want to make sure that you have the money for. So this is where you take the time to make sure you're intentional about how your money can help the culture. I love that you're bringing, you know, this idea of setting intention and then also creating this uh, ritual. I believe that we've lost just kind of, you know, getting in touch with that. That's the cycle, the natural cycles that we have uh, as human beings and then with nature and all these things. And, and so to, to see this as a, you know, uh, as a ritual is really interesting for me to go like, okay, what am I, I'm going to sit down and be focused and give you my, my love and attention, what you need. Okay, cool. <laughs> right. needs to happen. Great. You know, and, and seeing that as a, as a mirror as well, like, okay, I am putting in what I want to receive. Um, and I love your questions uh, that you ask your clients as well. So um, we have a chat here from Donna. I really appreciate your focus on foresight of what expenses, et cetera, are coming up in the coming weeks, month. Yes, absolutely. Did you want to chime in on that? I see you nodding, Candace. Yeah, because I have in my budget spreadsheet, there's a little section where I'm thinking ahead. Okay, like, you know, somebody's birthday is coming up. I know that I'm going to be out of town. So I have to expect that I'm going to spend more on eating out. And just knowing when you're in tune with your money that way, it just leaves less room for surprises. So even if you, you're going to spend a little bit more money, it's okay because you know that you plan for that in your mind versus you look at your accounting and say, oh my gosh, where did my money go? I'm so bad with money because that's not true. You just have to manage it a little bit differently. So I absolutely, yes, thank you for agreeing with me, Donna. <laughs> and then just because I know some of us on the line are curious to know, can you share either a personal example or, you know, a case study from working with the beautiful women that you work with? Um, what's, what's been one of the most rewarding or most, um, I don't know, one of the, one of the fun dates that, that you can describe? So like the result of getting what you put in or, you know, from, from setting those dates. Yes. Yeah, so speaking from what for one of my clients, this was just last week. So this one wasn't exactly monetary, but it was more like mental and emotional. So she, when we first started, we've only been working together for a month. So she was like, I hate talking about money. I don't like to talk about it. I'm just basically hiring you because I know that I need you, but I don't want to talk about money like that. So of course I love talking about money. So I was like, I mean, I'm not going to force you to talk about money, but it's kind of not an option. Like eventually <laughs> we're going to be having these discussions. And so she started having her own money dates and she was talking about how on the first one she was like full of anxiety. It was really overwhelming for her to really sit there and look at all this stuff and try to plan it, especially because she's not in like the dream job that she wants right now and all that stuff. So she took a break, she came back to it, she powered through. And then one of the breakthroughs that happened for her was that she actually started having conversations with people around her about money and she, with her friends and also with her boyfriend. And so in these conversations that they were having, he was able to express to her how her negative money mindset had been affecting their relationship. And so it was a really, like, even though you don't like to talk about money, 
you don't realize you're still putting out negativity even unintentionally so for her that was absolutely a big win that she was able to push past that with conversations with um, having her own money dates and pushing past that anxiety and also building a stronger relationship with her boyfriend who you know we want to become her husband one day so that was good for them mm-hmm. absolutely i love that and and it just circles back to what you were saying in the beginning how we are mentally connected we are energetically connected and so if we try to you know keep sweeping things under the rug um it's just going to present us with a big pile of something that we got to talk about one day or it's going to be the elephant in the room and i love that it had the it did you know a butterfly effect in her life took place so that's really nice to hear and after one month and it's it's it makes me feel like therapy is happening you know <laughs> yes exactly Awesome. Great question. So let's move on to this next question. And we've got about a little under half an hour left. So I just want to remind everyone that we want to hear your voice. Um, I know that maybe you all have some personal stories, or if you have any sensitive information, you can write to me anonymously, but we would love to hear your voice. We've got about half an hour left. All right. So let's move on to this next question. How to strategically plan to move out of your parents' home? I love this question. Uh, What that plan looks like and how to execute. Let's say we're thinking of a six-month action plan to move into a roommate situation, not their own apartment. Yes. So, of course, we have to save. Save, save, save our money, right? Because we won't have the umbrella of security of our parents if something happens. So, and there are also going to be things that come up. So whether you're talking about moving into an apartment or purchasing property, you're going to have to put up some money up front, right? And, you know, you may not want to furnish every room immediately, but you're still going to need things, you know, dishes, moving supplies, all that stuff is going to add up. So outside of the monetary part of it, of course, you want to make sure that your credit is together because whether you're doing, again, renting or owning, you're going to spend more money if your credit is bad. Um, Even if you get approved for an apartment with bad credit, your security deposit is going to be higher. Even if you get approved for a mortgage and your credit is not that great, you're going to be paying more interest. So always making sure your credit is in shape. The person that you're moving in with, you need to make sure that you trust that person. Do you know that person? Um, Make sure that their credit is up to par so that their name can go on that lease so that everything is not on you legally. Okay, so you know, we don't want to always talk about these things. We just want to live with our friends and we just want everything to go smooth, but it doesn't always work out like that. So make sure you know who you're moving in with. Also let your parents know kind of as soon as you get those gears turning, because outside of the financial currency, there's also relational currency, right? So our parents, we love them. They love us. We don't know how, when we move out, how they're going to be affected. They may you know, miss your presence, you know, they may have to go get a companion pet. That's happened to one of my friends before because her mom was really upset, you know, that, you know, happy that she was moving forward with her life, but there's an attachment, right? So your parents, you don't know how your absence may affect them. So just make sure that you're communicating with them what your plans are once you know what your plan is. Great. That's a great question. And it's interesting because, I mean, I'm assuming this person who's asking is living in the States or I don't know, I can only speak for the States because that's where I I had to leave living with my parents and living on my own. Uh, I'm in Argentina right now and um, it actually just came up with uh, a good friend of mine. There is not that transition of like when you're in school in, in Argentina, at least you stay with your parents. And so it's, it's, Uh, It allows for either, you know, you to be studying full time and maybe working as well or kind of like 
having to figure out how to leave your parents a little earlier in life instead of, you know, I mean, I left when I was, I don't know, 16 or 17. Um, and so it's really interesting to hear how our culture also shapes how we, you know, see moving forward uh, and how financial responsibilities come with that. Um, I would like to uh, also say, you know, there are places um, that just make it easier, right, for, for you to for you to move around and to kind of like save money as well. Do you have any recommendations on people, I guess, in the States who would need like those kinds of services um, to just make it a little less financially in, uh, impactful as far as, you know, not taking any way, anything away that they might have to plan for to move into their new place? Okay, say that question again for me. Any recommendations? Like, any recommendations to make the move like have a less uh, financial weight, uh, the actual, you know, burden of maybe, you know, you have to hire a truck mover and you have to hire a service to install everything. Um, do you have any recommendations on how to kind of help facilitate that movement? Yeah. So I don't have any like particular services that I can recommend to anyone, but I definitely always pre-planning. So again, you want to make sure I'm always looking for discounts, right? So especially if I have to put something in storage, okay, like what specials are you having where my first, first month is free or it's a dollar or whatever? What kind of referral programs do you have that I can take advantage of so that I'm getting money back, right? Also purging before you move. So we move a whole lot of junk that <laughs> we don't need. So that's more a bigger moving truck that you're going to need that's more manpower that you're going to need to move stuff we really don't need as much stuff as we have convinced ourselves that we do believe um the, is we don't need as much as we convince ourselves that we need and then also um your parents they may want to contribute you know some parents they may want to cover some of the fees that you're having um whatever your security deposit is your first month's rent things like that reach out to like those internal familiar familial resources that you have um i'm looking i'm a, i am trying to be a minimalist and it's not working <laughs> it is difficult because i I'm the same way. And every time I throw something away, I always feel like, you know, I, I haven't used this in like six months. And then as soon as I get rid of it, now I need it. Like that's happened to me more than once. And so I just hold on to stuff and it's really, it's really ridiculous. But um, those are some things that, that you do have control over. Um, and I'm sure, you know, locally, there probably are some organizations, but um, I don't know any, like anything current right now that I can recommend to anyone on that front. Your answer was spot on. I love that you're you're having us reflect on that. Um, and then there's one, you, as you were speaking, uh, I remember that when my sister moved a long time ago, she started to um, rent to own furniture. So really nice furniture, but you don't have to drop so much at once to furnish your new home. You like rent to own it. You start to form an attachment to it and you can end up like paying it over time um, as another option, just as you were speaking, I was thinking that. Okay, so let's move on to this next question here. So how late is too late to start a retirement account? So, I mean, the, the short and simple answer, answer here is never too late. You always want to start as early as possible, period. Like, that's just the simple answer to that question. Um, I know people, <clears throat> excuse me, who did not save for retirement. And they're in their, like, 60s and 70s. And they, you know, you can tell they don't want to work anymore, but they have to work because they kind of got in that mentality of, you know what, like I said, how I started out, 
I have time. I don't have to worry about it. Or I'm a single mother. I need all of the money that I can in this moment. I can't think about the future. I got to make ends meet today. Um, and then they hit an age where it's kind of like, there's no going back because as you continue to earn money, you have continued to increase your expenses. Now there's really no wiggle room. And you know, as we get older, you know, it's a bit harder for us to change certain ways about ourselves. So if I'm 50 years old and I haven't been contributing to my retirement for my entire career, and now you want me to reach out to somebody and somebody who's probably younger than me to tell me what to do, you know, with my money, you know, it's, it's that it's all of those kind of barriers that you set up for yourself over the years. Um, and that's the reason why you want to start as early as possible. Um, but I will never say it's too, it's ever too late to do anything. I love that. Great. Okay. So let's move on to this next question here. Would you recommend contributing to a Roth 401k, Roth IRA, or a HSA first? I'm trying to figure out where else to save after getting my employer 401k match. Yes, this is a really good question. So I tend to lean towards the Roth options because they're more accessible for my clients. So if you want to contribute to an HSA, everybody can't do that. You have to have an HDHP, which is a high deductible health plan, and um, they have to meet certain criteria to qualify as that. Um, and then you're able to contribute to an HSA. Now HSA withdrawals, if they're not used for medical expenses, you can face a very steep penalty. The IRS will let you know, um, and they will ask about it. So if you know that it's some money that you wanna put there and you maybe wanna pull it out for things that are not medical expenses, or maybe you don't have a lot of, you know, a, a lot of medical expenses and things like that, then HSA is not really gonna be beneficial for you. They both have their own, you know, respectable um, pros to them. It's just gonna depend on what your lifestyle looks like. But again, for the client base that I have, we leaned more towards towards Roth IRA because it's easier for them to get into. Um, and based on the health insurance that they have, that's just the, the first thing that they can do. Awesome. Thank you for that. So again, if this was your question or, or if you want to, you know, use these last uh, 15 minutes or so that we have, um, this is your time to shine. So we're, we'll move on to this next question here. Uh, and then I'll hold for a light pause after you finish uh, responding, Kansas, to get any, anyone wants to come off of mute. Uh, off of mute. So I don't have a 401k through my employer, but I do contribute to my Roth IRA on my own. What else can I be doing to prepare for a retirement? Yeah, so first of all, great that you took the initiative to do that because opening a Roth IRA on your own is a separate step, right? So with your 401k, we know it's automatically, you know, comes with your job and you don't really have to put in the legwork. So good for you for doing that. The next step would be to make sure you're maxing out your contributions each, each year. So for right now, you can contribute up to $6,000 a year into a Roth IRA. So making sure that you're able to max that out is going to be good. You also, of course, want to make sure that you're continuing to get rid of debt that you have, staying away from debt as much as you can. Um, everybody doesn't want to be debt free. Everybody doesn't, you know, feel the need to be debt free. So that's fine. But just making sure you're keeping your expenses um, down as much as you can. And then also making sure that you reallocate as necessary. So we tend to like set it and forget it when it comes to our investments and our retirement accounts. And we don't want to do that. You know, we we should be going in, we should be 
looking at how it's doing. What is our rate of return for the year? Are we getting, what's the percentage that we're getting back? If we're only getting, you know, 7%, I'm not satisfied with 7%. You know, I have a long time before I retire and I want to, maybe I want 20% each year. Um, and so if that's the case, I need to go in and make sure that I'm moving around my investments to make sure that I'm going to be making more money for myself. So those are the three things. Max out your contribution, make sure you're in control of your consumer debt, and then always make sure you're checking in and reallocating as necessary. Great. And we have a great question here in the chat box. How would an aspiring money coach find a mentor? Well, I guess Instagram, you know, it seems like that's where everybody finds everything now. Um, the money mentor that I had uh, was someone who I knew personally, like before I was even like into finances, obviously, because I was a mess. So I wasn't on Instagram looking for these types of people. Um, so you can do that. Of course, you know, you want to be following them for a while and make sure that it's somebody who you trust, that they practice what they preach, those kind of things. Um and i'm just reading these questions because they just came in so fast <laughs> uh, i'll read this one right here so if if my employer offers a roth 401k should i contribute to that or my own roth ira first and what would be the benefit of the roth 401k yes great question so a roth 401k is basically, you can only have a Roth 401k, of course, with your employer. Now, the big difference is if you're a high income earner, so you make, you know, six figures plus, let's just say six figures, then you're going to benefit with your Roth 401k. So as I mentioned, with a regular Roth IRA that you may set up on your own with, say, Fidelity, Vanguard, Betterment, whoever you choose, there's a $6,000 um, cap that, um, I'm sorry, there's an income cap. My bad. You can't make over a certain amount of money, basically, if you want to contribute to a Roth IRA. The reason for that is because with Roth IRAs, it's tax-free growth. So when you take your money out later, you don't have to pay taxes on it like you do with your 401k distributions. So they put that um, that cap on Roth IRAs to make sure that people who are, are wealthy don't avoid taxes for all their life, right? So, but if you are a high income earner and your job has a Roth 401k, then that income cap doesn't exist there. So you can still contribute to a Roth 401k with your employer. So that's the difference between the, the, the main difference between the two, but also your own Roth IRA is probably still going to have more uh, like a bigger assortment of investment options to choose from, like I mentioned before, versus this account that's housed with your employer. Great. And then another great question just popped up in the chat. Where's the best place to set up a Roth IRA? This has been on my mind, uh, but with no action for too long. Yes. Hey, Nicole, girl. So she's quiet, but she's paying attention. So um, <laughs> pretty much anybody who isn't charging you a bunch of fees, like management fees. So like I mentioned, I have Vanguard for my Roth IRA. Um, it was easy to set up, you know, it took maybe 10, I'll say 15 minutes to just be generous, but it really didn't take long. Um, Fidelity is another popular one. Betterment is another one. And it's good to have 
the feature where they kind of look at your current spending and kind of your lifestyle choices now, assuming that you're okay with giving that much information. And then they say, okay, based on how you live life now, this is how much you are probably going to want to put away for retirement and helping you forecast for the future. So anything that has, like I said, low management fees and can also help you forecast for the future is great. But there's no, like, as far as I'm concerned, there's no, like, company loyalty. Like, whoever is is working the best for me, <laughs> that's who I'm going to sign up with. Awesome. Thank you for finding that. <laughs> and Nicole says she's going to do this tomorrow in all caps. Great, right. Nicole. Let's know how it goes. All right. So let's move on to this uh, next question here. And then uh, Candice will jump into your last two slides so you can close up with presenting whatever else you want to on how we can follow you and, you know, support the work that you do and maybe reach out if we're interested in some sessions um, and then get to that last slide that I'm, that I'm excited about as well. So um, if this is your question and, you know, you want to add to it, if it's a little sensitive for you, feel free to write to me privately. So how do I raise my credit score if it is really bad? Yes. So 35% of your credit score is just you paying your bills on time. So if you're struggling with doing that, that's going to be the biggest change that you can make. 30%, right? Um, then you get into the diversification of, I'm sorry, the utilization of your credit. So out of all of your available balance, how much of it are you using? So if you have a credit card and the limit on that credit card is $1,000, and you have charged up $900, you're at 90% utilization. That means nine, you're using up 90% of your available credit, which says to creditors, this person does not manage their debt well. Um, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, we don't really want to have debt, but you kind of have to have something to show on your credit report. So you do have to strike that balance, but those are going to be the the main two things and so if that trickles over into you know what i have to do something to bring in more income so that i can make sure i'm paying this on time and we go back to those conversations that we were having about negotiation um you know we may have to make a career change you may have to get some side hustling going on you may have to purge and get on this minimalist lifestyle and start selling stuff on facebook marketplace selling stuff on ebay because that's what i'm getting ready to start doing um and doing all these things because you have to be determined having a good credit score it really doesn't just happen it does take practice but those two things are are top they're top tier um and then after that of course um diversification is important so once you get those things together you can responsibly mix in some different uh types of credit to again show debtors that you are responsible enough to handle various types of accounts Awesome. Thank you for that. Okay. So we have about nine minutes left. Um, I want Candice to wrap us up with any, anything else that you want to share with us. I mean, we had a couple of extra questions, but I just want to leave like a couple of minutes for us to continue chatting. I know that some people didn't get a chance to drop things in the chat box and now's your, your time to ask Candice anything. Um, Candice, let us know how we can find you, what you're working on currently, uh, and you know, the setup of how, you know, some, some people who are on the line might want to become your clients. Uh, can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, I love this little picture. That's so cute. So um, my um, my email address is there. Um, 
I check my email every day, all day. You can send me an email. There's my Instagram at Millennial Financial Educator. So again, I'm very engaging online throughout the day. Um, there's my website, CandiceMcGee.com. So if you go there, you can learn more about my money story, um, which I talked a little bit about here, but also you can go to my press page and just see where I've been featured, the kind of things that I've been doing and apply to my one-on-one -on -one coaching program. So um, my program is three months long. And, you know, it, it pretty much starts you off at the, the foundation. We start with your mindset. We then we move into the actual actionable things like, of course, negotiating with your debtors, building that confidence, like I talked about with my client um, from last week, doing the hard work, basically. Um, and I'm actually developing something a little bit more advanced for people who kind of have that strong foundation, but they have questions like these, like how we're talking about today. How can I extend the reach of my money? So that's in development. So if you want to kind of get in early, you know, let me know. We can work together while I'm developing that. Um, and then I have here to contact me for a free 15-minute money meeting, which is just what I call like a little chat. Um, there's no cause. You can ask me whatever you want. Let me know beforehand um, what your questions are so that I can come to that call prepared to support you. Um, so you can email me there. Those are just my initials at CandiceMcGee.com or DM me on Instagram if that's easier. Whichever way, just let me know um, that you, know, you were on this presentation and you want to do your free money meeting. Awesome. And any highlights? I know that we're in a crazy, crazy time. So if you have any positive highlights that you've seen, you can bring, you know, something that's come from a client or your personal experience just to give people hope uh, in these, in these crazy times. Yeah. So this was also in my, I talk a lot on Instagram. I really do. And so I had this story about a client who had like these travel rewards and you know, everybody's like, don't cash out your travel points because they're, you know, they're worth less money if you cash them out versus if you use them for travel. But for my client, um, you know, I'm like, listen, I told her there are travel bans. Like nobody likes us right now. We can't go anywhere. So, and even when outside opens back up, are you even going to feel comfortable with hopping on a plane and going you know, to another country or doing whatever. So she was like, no, I don't know when I'm going to be able to travel again. So you know what, instead of hoarding these points for a vacation that we have no idea when that's going to happen, cash them out and pay off this debt that you have. She had um, a specific debt that was like $720 or something like that. So she cashed out her points for $700. And now she has gotten rid of a whole debt that she had. So I, I felt good about that. Because, you know, she was getting the same feedback as far as like, you know what, I would just save my points for travel, you know, and I always say that personal finance is very personal. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Like if, if living a life of debt freedom is what you want to do, go ahead and do that, girl. The trips ain't going away. You can travel anytime. Okay. But this debt will follow you forever. So let's take care of that first. Yes. I love that. I love that you want to get, you know, as far as personal empowerment as well, you're not just giving them like a linear response. You're giving them a more holistic response. So um, Stacey asked a really good question here. What info should we have ready to share for the money meeting? Whatever questions you have. So I, so 15 minutes will go by kind of fast. So I'll probably be nice and give a little bit more than 15 minutes. But <laughs> pretty much if you reach out to me beforehand, whatever questions you have, that'll give me a chance to gather my thoughts. So when I come to the call, I know exactly what you want to know. I know what questions I need to ask you so that I can kind of make sure that I frame my responses to fit your specific situation. So, you know, pre prepare your questions. Just let me know. If I need something specific, I will let you know, but it's all about you getting the information that you need from me. 
Awesome. Great. Awesome. Okay. So this slide, I would love to hear what you have to share about this slide. I was really excited that you put yes. this to the chat. So I'll, I'll pass you the mic. Okay. So this slide, um, I just wanted to get to toss out some black businesses that you all can support. So this little, um, little picture here in the bottom right corner, that is where a lot of these businesses are linked. So I have here, I posted this repeat after me, I will buy from a black business and I will pay full price without asking for a discount. Okay. Mic drop right two snaps all that so in this post um i'll actually share it to my stories so that like if anybody who's watching this goes to my page it'll show for the next day or so but if you scroll back a little bit you'll see it and i have a bunch of these businesses tagged in that post but also in the comments people because i was like you know tag a black business that you love so that we can do business with them so in the comments and i'm i'm going to look at the post now but like in the comments there's so many black businesses is tagged and so i wanted to make sure that um i included that here in this presentation so in the first one you know i'm i love this idea because you know raise your hand if you grew up in a house where money was not talked about hello so yes. we this little um kidfin.org is a, a great website where they have live money trainings for children okay like from elementary school like kids and so this is one of the ways that we can really start setting a good foundation for those of us who have children. Um, and then all these other things, lactation supplements, locks, obviously, you know, things for your hair, plants and plant supplies, coffee, doulas, all that stuff. Um, linked here in this post, Nicole says, I love Milky Mama. See, I don't have any children, right? So I had never even heard of Milky Mama. I just learned about them in this post. Somebody tagged them and I was like, oh, let me go look. So um, I'm all about, obviously all about that. Like I said, I'm very engaging on Instagram. And so that's where all of these came from. So thank you to, if anybody who's watching this was one of the people who commented any of these companies, Thank you so much for uh, making us aware of them. And now you can go support, take a picture of this, go look them up. Yes, and I love that you have your repeat after me. I love that quote there. Um, yes. Great, and I also just one thing that I wanted to highlight that I didn't get to when you mentioned it. I love that for the question for, that you responded um, about you know, how, to, how to invest if you didn't want to do like the, the typical way of investing and then you, your, your immediate reaction was like, do it in a socially conscious way. Make your house into a museum exhibit at something, something. I love that you are kind of pushing the boundary on how to reinvest and how to see wealth uh, become useful um, you know, beyond our, our time here that we have shared together on earth. So um, I love that you're kind of connecting the social movement with, uh, you know, this financial awareness. So thank you for that, Candace. So time is up. I've learned so much. This has been recorded. I saw someone in the chat box ask, uh, they had to step away, but yes, this is, this has been recorded the whole time. Um, you will get a rewatch email. We'll drop uh, some of the links that Candace mentioned in this hour in the rewatch email. You're going to see this uh, on power to fly uh, posted a little later. So Again, go back and take notes. Candace was dropping a lot of knowledge. Uh, I encourage everyone to connect with Candace on social. Thank you, Candace, for spending time with us today. And you all have a great weekend. Candace, leave us with some food for thought, and then I'll stop uh, the recording. Food for thought is no, you do not deserve to exist just to pay bills and die. Mic drop. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good day, everyone. I love that. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.